The tension is rising. Notice Jesus. If you know anything about Jesus, Jesus will go off on you real smooth. He'll just say a few words, break you down, make you feel uncomfortable. So the, the disciples knew this, and the disciples were like, okay, here he comes. And so they're walking. Now, now, now look at the text. Now look at the text. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew. Say with me, dum dum. Just feel the, feel the pressure, feel the pressure. He sees Matthew, and he's sitting in a what? A tax booth. Ooh. And he said to him, and this is where the drama builds. This is where the disciples are like, what's he going to say? What's he going to say? What are you going to say to him, Jesus? There's so many things you could say. What are you going to say? And he says, follow me. Does he know who he's talking to? Follow me? For all the things you could have said to him, follow me? And realizing that the disciples are very aware that Jesus is a rabbi. And as a rabbi, when he uses the terminology, follow me, he's not just talking about follow in my steps as I walk. He now is placing Matthew in a relationship in his inner circle. So the people that are there, Peter, James, and John, all the people that are doing what Jesus says are looking at someone that doesn't do what Jesus says, and now they're equal. Now, you're one of us. I thought Jesus was going to cast you out. I thought Jesus was going to detail all your failures. But the amazing thing is he actually invites you into relationship. And when you look at this, you feel the intensity of it. Because the disciples most likely are frustrated and they cannot understand this Jesus. Why would you allow him to follow you? Why are you even allowing him around us? Why aren't you casting him out? And so there, I think that what we notice is that when Jesus is inviting him into relationship, the first thing he talks about is not modifying a behavior. He doesn't start going into how he's collected taxes. What he does do is he just says, come, draw close to me. We'll work through all that, we'll work through all that. Just, just come, just come. And he invites him into relationship, relationship. And Jesus is always, always, always inviting him into relationship. And that is what we have a tendency to create. And this is why it is very difficult in church to create a culture of authenticity versus a culture of performance. Because far too often, we are more like the disciples saying, who, him? Versus being more like the tax collector saying, I'm just glad that he called me and invited me to be here. It's already clear I failed. It's already open that I've been someone who I shouldn't be here, but he's still invited in. And Jesus is always, always inviting us into relationships. So the religious community is up in arms. The disciples are up in arms. How dare he? And so you would think Jesus might 
back off a little bit. Maybe they'll go to some campsite and they'll just make it intimate. We'll keep this quiet. Don't go make this public. Don't let people know we let a tax. Because if people know that we, you let a tax collector around you, Jesus, people might talk about us. They might say you're friends with tax collectors. Don't do that. Don't spoil her reputation. Jesus goes back to his house and he invites all his tax collector friends. No, Jesus made it even worse. You, and, and so what you can tell is that Jesus wasn't trying to keep a pristine reputation of his people. He was going deeper into sin. He was going deeper into a community of people who were lawless and rebellious. And so Jesus goes to his home. Goes right to the tax collector's home. He went right to his courthouse, the place this dude does all his dirt, then goes to his home where he probably does more dirt. In verse 10, it says, Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many just note that many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Just notice disciples can't even believe they're there. <laughs> can't believe we're at the same house. Can't believe we're having dinner with this guy. And some Pharisees came because you know that's what Pharisees do. They come and they want to know the business. What is Jesus doing? And they come to the party too. And when the Pharisees saw this, do you know what they said? Notice who they said it to. They didn't say it to Jesus. They said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The implication is why isn't he eating with us? We're the people that do everything right. I mean, a Pharisee would memorize, just notes, memorize the first five books of the Bible. Pharisee was known for his religiosity. Pharisee was known for his so-called purity. And they're sitting and they're scratching their heads. Why does he want to even be around them? Someone so holy, someone who we don't even know for sin, and yet he wants to be with them, be in their house, be where they sin. He wants to be there. Oh, man, Jesus is blowing the minds of the Pharisees. So he said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. Why? And here we learn much about the name of Jesus and the lifestyle of Jesus. Jesus responds with this analogy. He says when he, when he heard it, so Jesus overheard them, which is so awkward, right? But he overhears them and says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And he makes him more self out to not be just a rabbi and a teacher, but a physician who heals sin. And we'll talk about that in a, in a second. But he then responds, not just with the analogy, but he explains his lifestyle. Jesus will explain his lifestyle. Verse 13. He will say, go and learn what this means, which was a derogatory comment to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees knew Hosea, this was, he quotes Hosea 6 and 6. They knew this was a verse. They knew, he, when he, he's going to say, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So he says, go learn that. I know you know it, but you don't know what it means. He says, you, you read it and you've meditated on it, you've memorized it. You have all the information, all the insights, but you don't know what it means. 
It doesn't matter the amount of information you Pharisees have. You're so busy thinking about my lifestyle that you've missed what ministry is about in the first place. It was never about praying publicly and being able to quote things. It was more about what I'm doing right now. No, he says, he says, I, I, um, he quotes Hosea 6, 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I, now look, this is what preachers do when they're, when they're not sure you're connecting. I want to say this. If you haven't heard anything else, I've said. <laughs> I came not to call the righteous but sinners. So what you can extrapolate from that is this. I came to call sinners. I came for sinners. That's why I'm here. Why are you here, Jesus? Sinners. That's why I'm here. That's why I do what I do. That's who I am. I came to call sinners. Call. Invite. I came to invite sinners. I came to give an invitation to sinners. I like being around sinners. I don't like the fact that they sin, but I like being around them. I came to call sinners. I came to call sinners. And Jesus is always, always, always inviting sinners into relationship. I'm not just, now, now you, you know, are we talking about salvation? No, even if you're saved, after you sin, Jesus is like, you're welcome. Come on, come, come back. And it blows our minds because in the very pinnacle of our sin, we think you must not want me. I must be out. But he says, this is not that game. You're still invited in. And this is the message that we've never gotten right in church. Because the most knowledgeable people actually end up missing this point. Go learn. Go learn the ministry. Go learn my mission. I came to call sinners. That is the ministry of Jesus Christ. A ministry of inviting sinners into relationship. And so if Jesus is always calling sinners, then his people must be about what? Inviting sinners into relationship. And the slippery slope of church is to become a performance matrix. And when we get together and we gather, like in our city groups, or we, we gather, you know what the last thing? It's like being in Alcoholics Anonymous and we don't talk about alcohol. <laughs> it's just like, well, you know, and, and I was just like, well, how are we doing this week? It's like, I'm good. I'm good. Just, I'm good. Now, you know you're fronting, right? I'm good. I'm just good. And, 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 and I know why. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Because we're here right now, and we're dressed up right now, and we're talking, and, about, and we're talking about Jesus, this holy one. But he didn't call to come to call the righteous. He did not come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners. And his church is here to invite sinners into relationship. Sinners. And, and, and if, if, if this church ever becomes about anything different, then we have ceased the mission of Jesus Christ. We are no longer about what Jesus was about. We are not a school informing people more. We are not just some world peace helping out people to eat. We are something deeper. We do those things. But deeper than all that, what we do is call sinners into relationships. And he is always inviting, always, always, always inviting people into relationship. The temptation within church is to only focus on outward change before we can associate with you publicly. And so let me just, I think we have it, we're going to put it up on the screen. The religious say this, change and you can join us. Jesus says, 
Join us, and you'll change. Are we talking about membership? Please, I'm not talking about that right now. I'm saying if you follow Jesus, if you consistently commit your life, I'm not talking about church. I'm not just talking about reading the Bible. I'm saying the intimate invitation that Jesus offers. If you respond to the intimate invitation that Jesus offers, you can't help but change. Now, you can keep coming to church and you can keep even reading your Bible. You can practice rituals and sacrifice relationship. But you can't be in a relationship and not change. You can't. And so, and so Jesus is so confident of his transformative power that he publicly will associate with the worst and invite them into relationship. And here is this tax collector. Jesus, do you know who it is? I know exactly who that is. Do you know what he's doing? I know exactly what he does. And he always, always, always is inviting people into relationships, sinners into relationships. And that is the ministry of Jesus, and that is the ministry of this church. And so in light of that, in light of what we see in that small text there, there are several things that I, I think it is important as we start this series off. I think it is important for us to have lenses and, and focus on. The first thing is this. Being a sinner does not disqualify you. It's a prerequisite. All right? It does not disqualify you from relationship with Christ. It's actually a prerequisite. Yeah. We already know. That's the point. You are a sinner saved by grace. If you know Jesus, you're a sinner saved by grace. So that's the prerequisite of the relationship. You miss the mark. You miss, you are inconsistent. You are inconsistent. I'm not just talking about the standard of God's word. I'm talking about you're inconsistent to your own standards. You tell people things that you don't do. Okay, so let's just, that's what sin is about. Sin is about missing the mark, missing the standard. And that's what you do. And that's who we are. I'm not just talking about imperfection. I'm talking about a radical problem in your soul. And Jesus seems to invite people who understand they have a problem. And it is the degree at which you are not able to comprehend the sin issue that you'll never get Jesus and you'll never get the ministry of Jesus because he came to call sinners. So if you don't understand that, you won't really understand his point and his purpose. Going back to a verse he mentioned before, he says, I came to call sinners, right? But he also mentioned this. He says, hey, this is a real simple idea. Healthy people don't need a doctor. They don't need it. They're righteous. They don't need me. If you're already, if you already have a standard of righteous that you, righteousness that you think you're achieving, then you don't need me. And you certainly don't need me around because I came to call sinners. It's the sick. Um, you know, uh, last week I said I had vertigo. It was a trip, man. It was a trip. We had city group over my house Wednesday night. And in traditional fashion, I fell asleep on the couch watching TV. And my wife, in her traditional way, let me be there because she's like, I don't feel like, because I pretend like I'm not asleep. You know, that thing you do. So I just sit there and I fall asleep and I go on the couch. And I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And the entire room is spinning. And then I get up to walk. And I fall flat face to the ground. 
and I think I must have some neurological disorder. I'm like, why can't I walk? I, there's something wrong. And I get up and I do this. I do the manly thing, right? I'm, I, I, I get some water, I take some Advil. I'm like, I can shake this off. And my wife is like, what's wrong? I'm like, the room is spinning and I can't walk. And she's like, well, let's go to the doctor. I'm like, no, 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 I can figure this out. She's like, did you just say the room is spinning? <laughs> and you can't walk. And I was like, yeah, yeah. She's like, so you think you can figure that out? I was like, give me a few hours and I can figure this out. And she's like, at some point, you need to realize you don't know what's going on. And there might be somebody that can answer the problem that you don't understand. So why don't we go to the doctor so that they can figure it out? So here I am thinking I have like Ebola or something, some unique rare disorder. I walk in there, I'm like, doctor, my eyes, I cannot, I can't focus them. I can't, he, he, he literally plucked my knee once, had me do that. He's like, oh, you got vertigo. That's all that is, yeah. Here's the deal, take motion sickness medicine. It's gonna be about a week, you'll be fine. Within a second, within a second, he was able to answer. Now, obviously, it's a flawed analogy. It doesn't always happen, but the point is, is that a physician has a higher elevated understanding of your problem. And it is the degree at which you are able to admit you have a problem that the doctor is available to speak to your needs. Because if you go in there with vertigo, room spinning, can't walk, you walk up to the doctor and he says to you, what's wrong? And you go, I'm good. You have missed the point of a doctor. And if you look at Jesus and the whole time he looks at you and you say, I'm good, you will miss the point of Jesus. And if you, not only just, not just people who are coming to Christ, but people who are in the circumference, I mean, you're a non-believer, but you're figuring it out. If you, if you are having people model for you a, 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 a performance that we don't have issues, then we're really not showing you the ministry of Jesus. Because he came to call sinners. Doctors work with sick people. And if everybody's doing okay, then what's the point? What's the point? It's very, very hard to create a culture of, of authenticity above a culture of performance. Very difficult. Only Jesus can, can do that for us. And so, so we see that being a, a sinner is, it doesn't disqualify you. When you sin, okay, when you miss the mark, realize that sin is the indication of your need for Jesus, not the disqualification of your relationship. So in the very moment you drop the ball, that is not the point where you go, I'm out. He don't want me no more. You see, I, I, I said I'd read my Bible every day. I'd go to church every week. I made all these different commitments to you. I'm out. I'm disqualified. And his whole reason he came was because you can't keep your commitments. His whole purpose was to be someone who invites sinners into relationship. So that is the moment that you say, oh, this is why you're here. I should draw closer to you, not far away. I should look at your peace and your hope, not to try to live in a life of condemnation, guilt, and fear. I should run to you, not run away from you. 
Because that's the whole point you're here. I need to describe what's going on with you. Secondly, um, even when not only, not only are there points where we don't describe what's going on inside of us, but um, there are times when we completely reject the invitation of Christ. And, and Jesus continues to invite us in spite of our constant rejection of him. And we don't know anyone like that. We don't know people like that. Um, so people have taught me this phrase, feel a type of way. <laughs> have you heard this, feel a type of way? Have you heard the song, feel a type of way? Some people do, some people don't. I've discovered feel a type of way means get upset. It's, there's only one way you feel, it's bad. But that's, that's a whole other conversation right away. Feel it, you, you get up, you get mad. Have you ever like put yourself out there to invite someone to something or really get connected to someone? I mean, have you ever done that? You ever put yourself out there like in a relationship? A guy approaches a girl or, or you just say, hey, let's hang out next week. And they don't even show up. They don't even call. They don't even text. And they see you again and they're just like, what's up? And you're like, what's up? It's Tuesday. Yes, what's up? I thought we were in a relationship. I thought we were going to go deep. I thought we were going to be connected. And do you know what I do? You know what I do? And you know what you do? Okay, okay. Fool me once. Gotcha. And I'm never going to invite you into a relationship again. I wouldn't dare put myself out there for you again. Are you kidding me? I'm through with you. I'm going to call you again. Called you, like, I called you last week. I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you. And Jesus is just, a, he just ain't like us. Because when we reject invitations, or when we have someone reject our invitation, we want retribution. But when we reject Jesus' invitation, he invites again. And he is always, always, always inviting sinners into relationship. Romans 2 and 4 puts it this way. It's a verse we don't, we, don't, we don't give enough street cred to. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. It's not the holiness of God. We don't go, man, God is so awesome and perfect. I think I'm going to turn from my sin and just go to God because he's amazing and perfect. No, it's your imperfections that make you feel awkward around Jesus. It's like, oh, I can't be around him. He's so awesome. No, yes, he's holy, but he's still a father and still longing for a connection. He's still a shepherd calling his sheep. He's still that vine and that branch. He's still that person. Though he being holy is perfect and set apart, he still invites. Mm -hmm. And he's kind. So he draws us closer and closer and closer. But lastly, I think there is one observation we can make and we learn from the Pharisees. And that is when you stop following, you start judging others. The disciples got caught in this window of looking at Matthew and looking at all the problems that Matthew brought to the table. And they forgot how inconsistent they had been themselves. 
And so what you can create in a church is that when we stop following and we are all individually focusing on the author and finisher of our faith, and I'm focusing on how much I need to follow Jesus every day, when I just get into a ritual and a routine and a performance, yeah. what I have a tendency to do is look at how well I'm achieving things, and I begin to look at my resume and look at all that I've accomplished. And this is particularly for Christians who have been Christian for a while. I look at all my accomplishments, all that I know, all that I've done, and I can't help, I can't help but look down on other people. Because I've stopped focusing on me and Jesus, and now I'm thinking about you and Jesus. See, when you stop following and you stop focusing, you start judging. And you don't create an environment that's welcoming for authenticity. You create an environment that's welcome for advice. And you start giving advice. You know what you ought to do? You know what you ought to do? You know what I used to do. And you start talking about your good old Jesus when he used to help you. He's helping you today. He's inviting you today. And if we create a culture of hierarchy where the old saints, now there's, there's such a thing as maturity. That's a different conversation. But the old saints, remember when I used to need them? And you, we should create a culture where we are all as desperate for him as we were on day one. And we are desperate for him today because I cannot live without him. And if we ever create that culture where we're just advice givers, but not desperate people, we create a culture of performance above a culture of authenticity. And so we must all fix our eyes on Jesus. We don't know what Jesus is going to do with you. But one thing I can guarantee, that you'll miss out on the incredible journey that Christ has for you if you constantly focus on, am I doing well or am I doing bad? Am I, am I keeping up? Versus just focusing on Jesus and following Jesus. There is so much that God is calling you to beyond what you could ask, imagine, or think. And the reason why we know that is because, remember the Matthew I was talking about? It's so funny, I was telling my wife this last night, I was like, yeah, you know, Matthew, and, da -da -da. and I said he wrote the book of Matthew. She was like, shut up, get out of here. Yeah, she's like, I forgot, I didn't remember that. And you know, sometimes we can forget the very person that was in the booth that should have been rejected was collecting all the taxes, he wrote a bestseller that's been read for over 2,000 years. And if he can do that with Matthew, a wayward tax collector, just imagine what he could do with you. If you stop, don't, if you stop dropping out of the game, don't drop out of the game. Follow. And when you feel guilty, follow. And when you feel shame, follow. And when you feel like you should be cast off, follow. And when you feel condemnation, follow. Because Jesus is always, always, always inviting sinners into relationship. He came to call sinners. That means he came to call you. And if you are an old believer, he's still calling you deeper. And if you're a new believer, he's saying, come on and come close. And if you are not a believer, he's still saying, I invite you. You are invited, and you are not rejected. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, as we enter into this series of follow, we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would just draw closer and deeper into relationship with you. We pray, God. We pray today that we are drawing closer to you.
We pray today that we are drawing closer to you. Lord, we love you. And as you are building this church, which was your promise, God, we reject a culture of performance. And we expect a culture of authenticity because you came to call sinners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor James, for that great message. Just give him a walk around the